tearing up your rug. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> Let her just chew the rug. We'll record. There's she's already no ruined structure it. in this house. She's already ruined it anyways at this point. Yeah, but she's she's eating the the padding underneath. Yeah. That's not good for her to eat with. She doesn't eat it. She just chews it. Is it going to give you peace of mind if I just put her in her grave? Yes, because I'm afraid she's going to get sick. Oh, Mr. Studer. Get a dog, I said. It'll be fun, I said. I'm just saying my dog doesn't act like this. I'm just kidding. Oh, my dog was an asshole. <laughs> Your dog is a man now. Yeah, still an asshole. Come here, Bertie. Just a little less. <laughs> Look at that baddie badonk, ba- baggy badonk. <laughs>
<clears throat> excuse me. When Arabella became enticed by King James II, the only feeling the family had was, quote, seems to have been a joyful surprise that so plain a girl had attained <laughs> such high preferment. I hope that's and, how oh. people describe me from high school now. They're like, <laughs> such a plain girl. Accurate. So... <clears throat> Arabella um, was sent to court to become maid of honor, which was a common practice for teenage daughters of nobility. So basically serving the queen. And that happened in 1663. Uh, She served the Duchess of York because at that time, James was not king yet. He was just a duke. When they met. Following? Yes, I am. You didn't seem to be. (laughs) Your eyes glazed over. Just making sure. No, they just shifted a little bit because she's she's getting ready to lay down. She's like she's quite active. Yeah. (coughs) Gone. Okay. So that was in 1663 that she met him due to becoming part of the court. By 1665, mistress. Okay, so that moved pretty quick. Yes, super quick. So was this also during the time, I know when you introduced this topic, it was that these women were kind of schooled and educated and um, basically tooled for becoming a mistress. Is she one of those or do you have any Um, insights into that? Some of them are that way. All of the information I've gathered about her, like I said, anybody to do with James II, there's not much information on because they didn't find him as important. So nobody else was as important. Um, but from what I've gathered, it doesn't seem that way. Like they were high in nobility anyway. So I think she was more just like highly educated in everything due to the fact that that's just like what her family was. Right. So it was just already ingrained in her because that's just the family lineage. Yeah. Okay. It wasn't more, it wasn't to like entice the king. It was more to entice other members of nobility. So she could still marry within like her class. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So, um, the Duchess, his wife, named Anne Hyde, just because I feel like she's important too and we need to throw out her name. Um, in that same year, she becomes the Duchess's lady in waiting, which is actually quite a few steps higher. Um, so not, so it's crazy to me that she like, is in the court serving two years in she gets a promotion but then she's going to turn around and like bang her boss's husband (laughs) is basically what's happening here yeah i did it is very interesting that like she is nobility herself but ends up becoming a mistress Mm -hmm. and like she's kind of finding herself moving up the ladders anyway so she didn't really need to do that so but you know why not? The heart wants what it wants, I guess. <laughs> um, so she, during Anne's lifetime, um, she gives, Arabella gives birth to two children with James. Oh. Yes. So, <clears throat> all together, so the king had not had any children, Um And so during this time, she actually 
had, where did it go? Four. Four children together. The king and Arabella? Correct. Oh, wow. Yes. And none with his actual wife? Or Um, we're not sure? I I guess it doesn't matter. Four children is still a lot to have with the mistress. But let me double check because I want to make sure that I didn't write it down wrong. Um... It looks like he had possibly four. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because you asked and now I'm panicked that I didn't write it down. Oh, you don't. I mean, it's not that important to the story. I'm usually not not, so inquisitive. It looks like just two with her. Oh, but then he got married again and had two with someone else. So he had oh, four children all together. Okay. Two with Anne, though, which is actually Mary II of England and Scotland. And then I think she's, yeah, so it kind of sounds like Mary Queen of Scots, maybe. Well, that's exactly what I was about to ask. I was going to be like, oh, my God, girl. That's what it seems like. Okay. Anyway, we'll get back to that because maybe that'll be another off step of this but anyway he has four illegitimate children with arabella and they were given the surname fitz james which translates to son of james so pretty literal yeah um but it was common for royal children who were born out of wedlock um to use the name fitz which I feel like is kind of stupid because then it's like branding them like. Yeah, makes it very obvious. Exactly. But hey, who am I? I'm poor. So. Um, <laughs> not royalty. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> definitely not. I would definitely be a peasant in this situation. Um, but everybody was super surprised that not only did he pick her for a mistress, but that he like fathered children with her because she was described as, quote, a tall creature, pale faced, and nothing but skin and bone. And sounds like my sister. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So everyone was like, "Oh, that's weird." Okay, sir. <laughs> Whatever you want, you're the king. So <clears throat> their first child was born in 1667, and he ends up giving Arabella this like super nice, like amazing, immaculate house in St. James Square. And um, she got money annually, as one does when you're living the life of a mistress. Um, Like I said, he ended up having two wives and unfortunately died in 1671. And so that's where Arabella comes in because he's like, my wife just died, even though I've been cheating on her. And then she's like, it's okay, King, I'm here for you. Um, But... Their relationship ends in 1673 because James marries his second wife, Mary of Madonia. Madonna. Modena. Anyway. Is this the one where we were like, oh, is that Mary and Queen of Scots? No, 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 no. Okay. I was going to say, I, I Mary, looked up Mary Queen if of she's Scots. Mary, if she's Mary Queen of Scots, that was Anne's daughter. 
Okay, yeah. This um, is Mary, his second wife. Mary, Queen of Scots, died in 1587. So I think we're Oh, little... this is not Mary, Queen of yeah, Scots. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's no. what I... Yeah. Okay, so he's not... Well, see, he, now he's even more irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> Just tra- throw this throw this story in the garbage. Just kidding. We're here for Arabella. Oh, yeah. Um, But even though the relationship ended... So from her children with him... She ends up having Henrietta, Countess of Newcastle, and James, Duke of Berwick, which I think, like, dang, they still got pretty sweet titles yeah. out of this. And, Whitley, she is an ancestor of Diana, Princess of Wales. Oh. Yes. Relevant again. <laughs> well, Arabella is. Yeah, James, James still is not. still mm. <sighs> So... Good Lord. <clears throat> um, let's see. So, this leads us to June 1st, 1680. So, this is... Where did I go? Oh, this is three years later. Nope. Definitely not. Nine years later. Nope. <laughs> God, I can't count. There are at least multiples of threes. Seven. Seven years later. Oh, never Jesus mind. Christ. <laughs> Seven years later, at the Church of Holy Trinity, she marries Charles Godfrey and has three more children with him. So total, she has seven children. They live, this is like the best part of the story for me. They live happily for 40 years, her and Charles. Unfortunately, Charles dies in 1714 at 67, and Arabella goes on to live for 16 more years after him and dies in 1730 at age 82. That's a very long... For 1700s, Honestly, for both of them, that's pretty long lifespan. Well, and the fact that, like, she was able... To get this, like, royal relationship out of the way so quickly that she could find someone and love him and live with him for 40 years. Yeah. Like, good for you, girl. Get that out of your system real quick. But, yeah. So, that is the crazy story. Because I think it's kind of crazy that nobody is like, effing heard of her. Um, of Arabella Churchill. Yeah. That's fun. Mistress number two down. <laughs> I want to see, like, a chart of... Uh mistresses and their longevity in life i mm. wonder i wonder if uh, mistresses live longer because they're happier than all the other winches living in the 16 and 17 oh my god <laughs> you're gonna get haunted tonight by some winch that's fine my actual winch is at home with her mom i didn't say that that was a joke i don't have winch that's okay or what's the male version of that a bastard yeah i don't have that either. i don't know if that's what <laughs> male version is let's just go i think that sounds great let's go with that yeah okay perfect um so like i mentioned earlier i was gonna do a heavy topic critical race theory and then i was like i don't have the energy for this today and neither do our listeners and neither do our listeners freaking no mess. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm even more glad now considering all the technical difficulties, aka Georgie jumping on the cords and stuff. She, you fucked oh, up. Oh no, I said her name. I didn't say that. Shh. 
Um, so instead, good, cool, cool good, good. Oof, what a Ooh, disaster averted. Um, <laughs> so instead, I'm going to talk about something called Boston marriages, which is a little bit more fun. Ooh. And um, up my LGBTQ plus alley. Oh. So. In 1880, on the first anniversary of her marriage, Sarah Orne Jewett, she wrote a romantic letter to her partner. And it says, do you remember, darling, a year ago today when we gave ourselves to each other? We will not take back the promises we made a year ago. But Jewett in this poem was not addressing a husband. She was addressing her wife. Yes. Yes, in 1880, she is writing this poem addressing, you heard it, a wife. We love you, Sarah. We do. We're here for it. So, her wife is Annie Adams Fields, becomes her wife later oh. on. Um, so, this is just groundbreaking. Over a century before same-sex marriage really comes to fruition... There are these two women living in what's called, and is actually normalized during this time, called a Boston marriage, which is a same-sex committed partnership between women. And it's the norm. It's the norm of the day. So I'm going to just, like, tell you what these marriages are. I've never heard of them before, but I think they're very interesting and also very cool um, because they're not always romantic. Hmm. So... You'll see why in a minute. Do we know? Are we going to find out why it's called Boston marriage? Yes. Okay. There is like an I like a thought of where that origin comes from, from okay. a book. Um, Count me in. I'm saddled <laughs> up, ready to go. So around this time, so like turn of the 20th century, same-sex marriage, quote unquote, like it's not legally like a legal correct marriage, you know, like there's not any documentation of it. Um but it's common and socially acceptable between women. Only women, though. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, Wonder why. And sometimes sometimes these women were intimate. They shared kisses, hugs. They lived together. They had property together. Um, they were able to have property? Yes. So the marriages but, themselves weren't legal, but they could have property together? So... They technically, their families own the property, but they live, oh, like, so like by themselves. Cool. Yeah, they live independently in a home by themselves. Gotcha, gotcha. Basically. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, and that's because these Boston marriages originate in women's colleges. So that's kind of where they start originating with all these, like, women who are usually of the upper echelon going to college so why they're able to live in a house with each other by themselves is because they come from a wealthier background, basically. Okay. So, yeah, there's these intense, sometimes romantic friendships that are happening among women. It's normal. And it's actually encouraged. These women are encouraged to exist in a sphere separate from men, which is not shocking. Like... Yeah. During this time, those spheres that. are very separate. And they, it's, I mean, it's, it remains that way. I mean, even so, somewhat to today, some people have those expectations that men and women are separate. Like, their spheres are separate. They can get married and have those lives, but the woman is meant to, like, you know, 
be a symbol of the home and oh, the man is meant. I think I mistook what you were saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Basically, like our general construct that we have of like man yeah. and woman. Like men working women in the home. Yes, exactly. Okay, yeah. No, don't like that. Yeah, sorry. Should have been clear about that. No, you're okay. I think I just like am over here like way too hate men hungry. So I took it differently <laughs> when you're saying it. That's okay. We've all been there and some of us are always there and that's fine. Um, so of course, like we've got these general, (coughs) so sorry. It's fine. Uh, we forgive you for being sick. (laughs) Um, yeah, but because of this ideology that like women need to be in the women's sphere, men to be in the men's sphere, there's this ideology that cushions women from the outside world. So like they're already very insular with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And women, if you've ever studied feminism and women during this time, they're thought of as very asexual, very gentle. Like that's just what a woman is and is thought to be during this time. So because of this, because they think, oh, they don't have any sexual hunger or desires. <laughs> it's acceptable for women during this time to, like, kiss one another or to hold hands and link arms and openly express their affection. Because it's just seen as a part of femininity at this time. Like, it's like, oh, you're just a woman. You're just affectionate with your friends. Like, you're not like, sexually that... attracted to them. At the same time, though, like, wouldn't that be so nice to not have, like, like, if you kiss your friend, like, it not be overly sexualized. Yes. Because, like, kisses are platonic. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or they can be. And, like, if and the, someone wants to kiss their friend that's the same sex, like, don't don't be disgusting about it. Yeah. Or, and like, it's, if I want to hold hands with you, your family think you have a second girlfriend. They have thought that They before. have thought that. That's why, that's why I'm bringing it up. <laughs> but, like... I can hold hands with my friends. I can give my friends hugs. Like, just because it's same sex doesn't mean you have to be overly sexualized. Right. I I thought that, too, when I was, like, reading about these Boston marriages, I was like, okay, that just seems great. Like... Yeah. This section right here, so far, I'm on board. Oh. You're you're still going to be on board the whole time. Like, sign me up, because, like, not over-sexualizing something, who would thought? Who would have thought? Yeah, you're you're gonna just enjoy this whole story. I like, love this. there's nothing bad in this story. This is like shockingly a lighthearted story from me. We never have those. I know. <laughs> and to think I was gonna talk about critical race theory instead. <laughs> yeah, it's like two different ends of the spectrum. Yes. Um. So yeah, it and like I mentioned earlier, like this becomes a culture at women's colleges that women are allowed to be affectionate with each other in this way. So. It was common for students to give each other bouquets of flowers, to write each other love love poems, give each other trinkets, and openly declare their love for each other. Mm. And actually having a crush on other women, it was like, fine. Like, nobody like batted an eye at it. It was expected, and it was considered to be part of the women's culture at these women's colleges at the time. So it's like, it's not... It's not even that people are neutral about it. It's like they expect it to happen and they're like, okay, yeah, just that's so cute. Women being women, like they don't care. Like what happened to us? I don't know. (laughs) So a group of women in New England take this concept one step further 
by getting married, quote unquote. So they referred to it as getting married. So like I mentioned, they didn't commit to each other legally because that you couldn't. But what they would do, like I was mentioning, they combined households, lived together. They would support each other long term, like combine their finances. Like they were essentially a married couple. Like in the sense of how you think of what being a married couple is, you know, in your head, you have that like vision of what it's like to be married. Right. They're like living it as two women. You mean marriage isn't just a piece of paper? You know, a lot of people think that in this country, but no, Emily. Wow. I know. Shocking. It's hard to believe that in marriage, like, the foundation is love and not paper. I know. Hmm. I'm learning something new at this podcast every day. (laughs) So these independent women, they're out here, they're pushing the boundaries already of what's seen as acceptable. So they're attending college, finding careers, they're living outside of the home of their parents, they're not getting married. But because they're doing these things and doing it with other women, the activities are deemed socially acceptable. So if they were to do this all single, like nobody with them, exactly, spinster. So because you're doing it with other women, they're like, oh, it's okay because like they're not by themselves. It's Basically, it's not sad, you know? And there's like somebody there to kind of monitor almost what they're doing because I think my sense is that during this time like with courting for example like there always needs to be some kind of a chaperone or something like the more eyes and ears there are you know in a place the more you can kind of keep tabs on what's going on so I think that's probably why it's a little bit more socially acceptable Mm -hmm. um and then here's where the Boston marriage comes from. So in 1885, a novelist named Henry James, he explored this phenomena of women, quote unquote, getting married in his book, The Bostonians. Mm. So that's why it becomes known as the Boston marriage. Um, so the novel pokes fun at women, essentially. But it's kind of one of those things where it's something that's, making fun of a group and they're like you know what we're just gonna own it boston marriage you know okay. so i love it power to the women <laughs> and then i just have another like quick tidbit about what boston marriage looked like in the college culture because that's kind of where it originated so it um Wellesley College in the late 19th and early 20th century, um, there they called it Wellesley marriage, um, became a popular description, just a regional kind of name for Boston marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, Here, though, the relationship was more so focused on academic women who were working in the academic space. Okay. So the reason that women particularly did this here is that when women got married, they were expected to resign and go take care of the home. So they couldn't work in the academic field anymore. They couldn't do their research. Gotcha. So this is almost a safeguard for these women. Like, because it's acceptable to move in and support other women, like, and live together, it becomes acceptable for them to not be married and to keep working in academia. 
So they use this as a way to find freedom and independence, which is why I was like, oh, you're going to love this. Because like it doesn't always have to be a romantic relationship. Nope. That's that's of course why I was pulled in because I love a gay story. But it's like, I don't know. It's inspiring that these women found this work around that yeah. was just socially acceptable for them to be able to continue to live their lives. And I think that's just really inspiring that they did this. So there wasn't like an expect, and you might get there, um, but there wasn't an expectation for like, okay, like you're only going to do this for a couple years, then you're going to find a husband. Like they could just do this for however long they wanted to do it. Yeah, I don't know if that's, I'm sure there were pressures coming in from their families, especially if they're, you know, higher class individuals. Um, I didn't really read too much into that. Um, but I mean, this was, if you were going to do that, this is a socially acceptable way at the time to be free from that sphere of marriage. Gotcha. Um, this is like a fun fact too. Um, the of the Wellesley marriages at the college apparently there were 53 women faculty and only one of the women was conventionally married to a man all others lived with a female companion to keep their jobs um and one of the famous pairs were Catherine Lee Bates and Catherine Ellis Komen and Bates was a professor of poetry and wrote America, the lyrics for America the Beautiful mm. and then Komen was an economic historian who is credited with writing the first industrial history of the U.S. So, like, those things Damn. wouldn't exist if they weren't able to find a way right. around resigning from their jobs in academia. Mm. So Men always holding us back. I know, basically. But luckily, we found this, like, partnership with each other. We're like, okay, like, screw men. I want to pursue what's best for me. Mm-hmm. And if I have to live with a woman and sacrifice, you know, being with a man... I'm fine with it. Retweet. Yeah, exactly. Like, go get what's out there for you. Yes. Um, yes, queen. So, yeah, at the end of the day, these Boston marriages, they offered equality, support, independence to these wealthy women who were determined not to get stuck into the domestic sphere. And sometimes, you know, I would love to think they all offered romantic love, but I get that they didn't. Um, women... Each relationship was different, but often, like, women referred to one another as husband or wife. And they would kiss and hug, write passionate letters, share beds. Um, But most people didn't really see this, like, when people did go that far as sexual in the 19th century. Because, again, like, people just assumed women weren't physically, like, interested in having sexual relationships. Which is very wrong. Well, it is very wrong, but I also think, too, it's, like, more socially acceptable for, like, I mean, think about when we were growing up and we had, like, sleepovers and stuff. Like, it's more socially acceptable for us to, like, share beds at sleepovers than it is for boys. Exactly. Yeah. Like, is that right or wrong? Wrong, probably. Like, if boys want to share beds when they're younger, let them share beds. Who cares? But, I mean, it kind of carries, that, that thought process kind of carries over even today. Yeah, definitely it does. Um, but it's interesting, the, the practice fades as people become more aware of lesbianism. Shocker. So well, it's just a, the fact that like, guess what, everybody, women are sexual beings. Yeah. And I really think that in the early 1900s, 
Um, I, I think I may not be remembering this correctly, so don't quote me on it, but I'm pretty sure that's when like, um, like psychosexual types of theories started coming out and like, with like people what, Freud and stuff. Is that yeah. That about? kind of stuff. So I think people were just starting to become more aware of it and were like, wait a minute, maybe this isn't always innocent. <laughs> so this practice begins to fade, um, because this concept of sexuality makes it possible to categorize relationships that had once been considered socially acceptable is sexually deviant. Because before, I think people in their minds are like, well, there's like, no, that's not happening. No way. That's not happening. You know, a relationship is a man and a woman. That's the only way a sexually, like a sexual relationship can exist. But then when these theories come out and like it comes to light that that's not how those exist. I think, especially in men, like, they were prone to bigotry a lot earlier because mm-hmm. people see men as more physically and sexually active. Right. Um, so it's just interesting. Um, but back to, like, the original, like, couple that I started talking about, um, Jewett and Fields, um, who I started off the story with. They lived together for over two decades, um, and Jewett's publishers later, like, revealed that they edited out telling details from her letters to Fields to prevent readers from assuming they were lesbians. So it seems like their letters were probably pretty passionate, and... Well, they were juicy, for Yeah, sure. juicy. Um, but yeah, that's... That's a Boston marriage. So oh, like, Oh, I loved that. Yeah. These were two good stories we had today. I agree. Yeah. I feel like they were both very empowering. Yeah. I feel like... Like, even more fuck men than I did at the, <laughs> at the beginning of this. <laughs> oh. Just rename yeah. our podcast that. Fuck men. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel like at every story we find a way... <laughs> It's our true talent and passion. I mean, if they would just butt out (laughs) of just everything, we there would be less problems in the world. I feel like. Yeah, I actually don't like really interact with that many like terrible men. It's usually more informal interactions. I, I feel like the people I surround myself with, though, because I have control over that. That's why they're not always like terrible oh for sure they do have this certain i guess instilled superiority but that i think don't know if they always realize that they have um i could talk about that forever we don't need to talk about that that's not the name of the podcast we that is not the premise of the podcast it's the premise of this episode for sure for sure but yeah let's all go find a boston marriage I, well, I guess me, You're I already did. You're getting real married. I am so. getting real married until the Supreme Court revokes that. Well. They came for women. They're coming for us next, for sure. I'll go slash all their tires if I have to. Fuck I, them. Yeah. Like, you are not working for the people. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Signed, sealed, delivered. Fuck you. It's getting haunted. Yeah.
Bye.